0: Welcome to Hunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre, and when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal. Me. Now, who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I'm Haley. And first, we apologize for being missing for a little while. How long has
1: it been? Mm, I mm, Just a little over a month, I think. Only? The, uh, mm-hmm. We're
0: changing platforms, and I know I posted that somewhere. And it's just been a little bit of a struggle. But the, our ads are gone, so you won't hear those anymore. And it's not quite... I'm hoping this episode can be out by Wednesday morning. I have uh, another little thing that has to be done before we can upload any new episodes but that hopefully is done in the next couple days and to be quite frank this whole covid quarantine thing has made me i don't know how to explain it like we're not doing anything we're here we can it's a concentration level my concentration isn't there like it normally is yeah like i start doing something in the night lose focus really easily which is weird because i have more time now than i've had before i don't commute anymore
1: but i think it's harder to get things done when you're not busy is that i think that might be it it is for me for sure if i'm busy i i like have a checklist of things i have to get done so they get done if i'm not busy i'm just like i'll get to it later i know and i work all day
0: in this in this room and then i leave and it's my favorite room i love being in here so I'll come back in, but then something, like, there's something I want to do around the house or whatever, and I'll, I'll, I just, my focus isn't there. Yeah. But you've been super busy. Went back to school. Mm-hmm. And then building furniture.
1: Well, that's just because I literally need something to do.
0: Occupy your time. Yeah. Build a beautiful coffee table. Thanks. It's gorgeous. Haley redid our whole, the front of our house, the whole, the whole thing. New furniture, new knickknacks. knacks. What would you call that? What's that design style?
1: Mm, Well, the coffee table is farmhouse. It's the farmhouse thing. Kind of, but not really. Like like the white with the stained wood, but the shape of it isn't totally. No? No, because I don't have like the cross legs. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it looks really good. Mm -hmm. We should post a picture of it.
0: Maybe people hire you to make furniture all the time. I don't don't know if I could do that. It, it was stressful for you?
1: Not stressful, but like Home Depot is out of everything. I know. I don't. Like I took so many trips to Home Depot, to different Home Depots, because they were out of wood and then they were out of a tool that I needed and then they were out of screws. And then like it's just – everyone's weird. out of everything.
0: And I don't know if people are noticing that because I asked a lady at Home Depot that one time if people were complaining about things, the shelves being empty, and she's like, what are you talking about?
1: Yeah, we literally couldn't find wood. I know. That's weird. But that could also be because – A lot of people have time to redo things in their house.
0: Yeah, or manufacturing plants are not useful. Enough of that. If anybody wants to talk to us about the quarantine or if you have any fascinating ideas about how I can stay on focus or um, projects that you've done, we'd love to hear about them. We also need to recognize our new Patreon, Jamie Hill. Thank you, Jamie, for joining Patreon. We're excited to have you. I was actually talking to her, I think, on Instagram. And I get messages. I've gotten so many messages about stories people want to hear. And honestly, I'm going to do them all. Someone, i am suggested Glenn Miller. I'm going to do Glenn Miller. And then um, someone sent me, oh, my gosh, I'm having to literally brain freeze a couple different stories that I want to do. And then um, this one was, the one that we're going to do today, was recommended to me by my sister. Do you know who Rebecca Schaefer is?
1: Yeah, I've heard of her... And I think I know parts of the story, but I don't know the details. Well, and it's not an unsolved
0: story. It's a mm-hmm. true crime story, but it's not unsolved. It's it's definitely solved, but it it was so senseless and tragic and unnecessary. Senseless shootings happen all the time in cities across the world. Few of them actually make the news, but not so much with this one. Rebecca Schaefer was a shooting star in Hollywood. Not many people today know who she even was, but in 1989, she was a rising star in Hollywood. A part on a television series called My Sister Sam, Rebecca's star shone bright, but sadly it was easily distinguished by one shot. Rebecca was born November 6, 1967. She originally considered becoming an, a rabbi, which I found really interesting. She was really active in her church, and she wanted to be a rabbi.
1: Instead of an actress? Yeah.
0: And then a movie crew came to McMinnville near her home town of Eugene, Oregon, and she auditioned in got a bit part, and the acting bug bit her, and it bit her hard. At 16, she left her family at 16 and went on her own to New York to attend the professional children's school in Manhattan. And I guess she was 5'7", so she wasn't short. That's I'm tall. 5'7"?
1: Yeah. How tall are you? 5'4". No, I'm 5'4". No. I'm like 5'4 and three quarters or something like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not
0: 5'5". Five, five. I'm 5'4", five, even. Yeah. You're, I thought you were five five. Well, she's five mm-hmm. seven. So, but and, and again, that's not short. But it's not. I feel like that's pretty tall. Exceedingly. Well, she struggled with modeling in New York because she wasn't tall enough. Well, so she went to Japan to model. Um, she had a little bit of an easier time with it in Japan. Um, her first sustaining gig though was a part on a soap opera called One Life to Live. And I was going to ask you, are soap operas still on?
1: Um, I think so, but I only. Know that because I spend Wednesdays with grandma and her soaps are on at a certain time. But I don't know if they're reruns or if they're Does new Does she
0: ones. say soaps or is she only watches one? She watches Days of Our Lives or something.
1: And General Hospital? Oh, really? I think.
0: I, I, that cannot be on. And is it really? One, on? of,
1: one of them is still on, I think. Really?
0: Well, she her first sustaining gig was a part in the soap opera, One Life to Live. I know that's not on anymore. But her big break came when she was featured on the cover of Seventeen Magazine. You used to get that magazine. Remember that?
1: Yeah, I had a subscription. That's another thing. Do no people one does that get anymore. magazines anymore? No.
0: I mean, I bought one at the grocery store a couple of weeks ago, and you told me not to.
1: Well, because I just don't under- I just.
0: I love magazines.
1: I have three on my desk right now. I don't know. I guess I, like... All the magazines that I would look at have those Snapchat articles that I just read.
0: That's so crazy. I love looking at the pictures. I love magazines. I love them. But I'm of a different generation. You were never big on magazines probably ever.
1: No. I mean, when I was younger, I remember always wanting that like J14 magazine or whatever and 17, that was it.
0: And 17. Mm -hmm. And your grandfather got you a subscription to 17, so Mm -hmm. you would get it in the mail. Yeah. Um, That was her big break that was being featured on the cover of 17 Magazine. And it led to her being cast in the TV show My Sister Sam, playing the sister of Sam, who was played by Pam Dauber. Do you know who Pam Dauber is? No idea. I know. I have to stop asking you because all the listeners are like, I know who she is. Or they're like, I'm with Haley. If you don't know who she is, now this one you do know. Do you know who actor uh, Mark Harmon is?
1: I mean, the name's kind of familiar, NCIS? but I couldn't tell you. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's Pam Dauber's husband. And, um, So she played, she got the part. Pam Dauber in 1989 was on everything. She had been on Mork and Mindy. She had literally been all over TV, and she always had, like, lead parts in TV shows. And so when Rebecca got the part in a Pam Dauber series, it was a big deal. She was going to be very well known. On Tuesday, July 18th, as Rebecca... Ironically, though, I have to say this. Ironically, she got the part in the show. The first season, the ratings were just crazy high, just shot through the roof. Partially because of Rebecca Schaefer. She was adorable. But the second season, it kind of tanked and they, they cut the season off after like six episodes. So when what happened to her happened... The show had actually ended already. She wasn't even on the show anymore. On Tuesday, July 18th in 1989, Rebecca was actually getting ready for an audition with Francis Ford Coppola for Godfather Part 3. Her doorbell rang at her apartment located at 120 North Sweetser Avenue, which I, I tell you the address. It's in West Hollywood. I tell you the address because, and and I'm assuming people are like me. I don't know if I'm right or wrong. But whenever I find an address, I actually look it up on like Google Earth. Mm -hmm. and see what it looked like. And her building looks super familiar to me. I know I've been up and down that street a million times. At the time, her intercom was broken. So she had to actually go down to street level to answer the door instead of just, like, pushing a button, finding out who was there, which would have saved her life. She was waiting for her script to arrive for The Godfather Part 3. And so she assumed it was probably the script runner. So she didn't think that much. So She actually went to the door in a robe and went down and... um, witnesses that were walking up. You know, it's its a very walking neighborhood. A lot of people walk. Mm-hmm. Witnesses say she greeted the person. Um, He was a male in a yellow shirt, spoke for a few minutes and said goodbye. And one of the neighbors even heard her wishing him, like saying, take care when he left, like shook his hand, like take care, bye. Um, at the end of the conversation, an hour later, her doorbell rang again. So this time she's certain it's the script, right? She runs down to answer the door thinking it's the script again. And um. It was the same visitor from the hour before, standing there. He leveled the gun directly at her heart and pulled the trigger. He told a psychiatrist later that she screamed, Why, why, as he ran down an alley to escape. Rebecca was declared dead on arrival at the nearby Cedars-Sinai Hospital. This just breaks my heart. She was literally just going about her life. Robert John Bardo was born January of 1970, the youngest of seven children, in a family that had a history of mental illness. It wasn't just him. Diagnosed with bipolar, he was institutionalized in 1985 for a whole entire month for for an emotional issue and was then sent to a foster home when it was discovered that he was being abused by one of his siblings. In the years before the shooting, he had been arrested several times, all for violence and for disorderly conduct, and people in his life said that he exhibited strange and threatening behavior like... All the time, his obsession with Rebecca led him to attempt to get into Warner Brothers, the Warner Brothers lot where she worked. He showed up there with an oversized teddy bear and was turned away. He began a letter writing campaign. He didn't live in California; he lived in Tucson. He began a letter writing campaign to which she responded to only one with with an autographed photo of herself, and he took that to mean that they had a personal relationship because she wrote back to him.
1: Uh, that happens all the time, and I just can't even. Well, because your brain imagine. doesn't work that way. The thing is, she actually—he probably
0: took it too, because she responded to the letters um, she received at the studio herself. And what's weird, and you know, didn't come to light till later, her publicist had seen her responding to letters and told her that she shouldn't do that, that she shouldn't respond to her, her own letters, mm-hmm. that they should be like form letters. And um, but she said, "No, I I really want to talk to these people there." They're my fans. And when she wrote back to him, she actually um, wrote that his letter was the nicest she had ever received. So it was personal. Yeah. He was quoted as saying that he became a fan of her character, Patty. And um, he said that, and this is quote unquote, she came into my life at the right moment. She was brilliant, pretty outrageous. Her innocence impressed me. She turned into a goddess for me, an idol since then, I turned into an atheist, and I only adored her. That's a cow.
1: That's extreme.
0: He set up a shrine for her in his bedroom. Months before the murder, he had left his job in Tucson to go to Hollywood thinking he'd be able to meet her at the studio. He showed up at the teddy bear and flowers, and it never occurred to him that she wouldn't be able to just, like, invite him onto the set to visit with him, because, you know, he was, as far as he was concerned, he was her number one fan, and she knew it. Yeah. I mean, she had no idea who he was. The security guard actually remembers telling him to go home, like... Here's the thing, you're not going to get in, just go home. He attempted several times to get entrance to the studio, and each time he tur- was turned away, the security team remembers him becoming more and more bill- belligerent and agitated. It just, the sad thing is it never occurred to them to contact the police. I wonder why, though. Well, back then they really didn't have anything. Like, they just would have thought that he was just, oh, he's kind of nutty, go home. I guess. You know what I mean? Like, they just didn't. Which is weird, because I think John London was killed right before this, to be honest was right, relatively recently John Lennon had been shot. So I don't know why. the same situation? Kind of the same thing. And what's weird is that um, the book Catcher in the Rye um, was a book that the guy who had shot Lennon had left at the scene or threw on a building or something. When Robert Bardo ran away from the scene, he was carrying the book Catcher in the Rye and tossed it up on the rooftops. It just, it's, he he claims- Yeah. Since he couldn't get to her at the studios, he went home for two years. Two years, was at home writing her letters, like during the time that uh, my sister Sam was on. And then this is the bad part. He hired a private detective. Guess how much it cost? How much? $250. A simple search of the DMV records that the detective legally could do at the time came up with her address and he gave, for $250, he gave... A crazy person, I mean her address, her home address.
1: Now a crazy person sitting at home can do it for a dollar on the internet.
0: It's crazy how you can now, but back then he wouldn't have known where she lives had the detective not done that. Yeah. He quit his job once he got her address and headed to Hollywood again, this time armed with not only her address, but the gun that belonged to his brother that he took without his permission. He explained to a psychiatrist in jail that he was angry with her because she had done a sex scene in the movie Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. It was a movie she had done. And he believed that she had become just another Hollywood whore, is what he called her. But he also claims that he he said that when he rang the door the first time that morning, they talked, shook hands, and he left. And then he went to a nearby diner and realized that he hadn't given her a letter and a compact disc that he had for her. So he... his. He says his plan was to go back and give her the letter in the compact disc. That's what his plan was. But when he showed up, he said that she tried to convince him to leave. Probably because she was feeling uncomfortable. Like, God, really? It's you again? I'm still waiting. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, he became offended that she was brushing him off by saying that she didn't have much time. And that's when he pulled the gun and shot her. He said he wavered for a moment considering whether or not he should shoot himself too, but instead he decided to run, throwing the book up on the building. He claims he didn't know that he had killed her until he, he went straight back to Tucson. Like he shot her and went straight back to Tucson. And that night he saw it on the news and said he almost had a heart attack when he found out that he killed her. Most of the time, detectives arrive on a scene of a shooting, prepared to spend weeks, months, and even sometimes years trying to find the murderer. But this time they didn't have to wait long. Within a couple of days, the police in Tucson received phone calls from drivers reporting a man walking in traffic, yelling that he had killed Rebecca Schaefer. And the information's not all available, but the sister, I guess, was calling L.A. saying that her brother had an obsession with her and he had been in L.A. So the police, he was transferred back to Los Angeles to stand trial. and um, Rebecca's parents attended the hearing every day. Can you just imagine that? His trial started in September of 1991, and it was determined that although he clearly had mental issues, he was not considered legally insane at the time of the murder. The prosecution agreed not to seek the death penalty after Bardo agreed to waive a trial by jury. And by the way, interesting side note, the prosecution team was led by none other than Marsha Clark. Now you know who Marsha Clark is.
1: Uh, OC Simpson. O. C. O. C. God, I'm losing it. OJ Simpson trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Bardo's attorney, um the public he was a deputy public defender named Stephen Galindo, presented evidence attempting to show that Bardo was not sane and never intended to take Rebecca's life that day. The prosecution team on the other hand claimed that it was in fact premeditated and he was lying in wait for the actress. Now, here's the thing, to me it was premeditated. I mean, he came all the way to he, the minute he bought the ad, the her address
1: from the private investigator, right? Yeah, I mean, two hundred fifty dollars is a lot to get someone's address. Well, I mean, he was a janitor at Jack in the Box too, but to me,
0: that's premeditated. I mean, he took the he brought the gun with him to California. Yeah, I found this article in the Los Angeles Times. In his closing arguments, Bardo's lawyer Galindo. Did not deny that Bardo intended to kill the 21-year-old actress, but argued that he should be found guilty of nothing more than second-degree murder. How do... How do... How do public defenders do that? Like, how do you sleep at night?
1: I don't know. Like, he...
0: Bought her address, went to her, stole stole his brother's gun and went to her house, like from Arizona to California. Yes, and he, anyways, he the public defender said that he should be found guilty of nothing more than second degree murder. He said that Rebecca Schaefer is a victim in the true sense of the word and did nothing to deserve what happened to her, but he added Robert Bardo too is a victim.
1: A victim? Why? Because they're saying he has a mental illness. He has a mental illness, and he was he grew. I mean.
0: Yeah, he was abused by his own siblings. His mom was mentally ill. He did not have a good life. He didn't stand a chance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, But nowhere in there, nothing that I've read, and I could be wrong, there could be entire psychiatric files on him, I'm sure there is, is that he still knew right from wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like he knew not to walk in traffic. You get hit by a car. Like, I don't know. I shouldn't say anything because I don't understand. Uh, they say that he was bipolar and schizophrenic. So I, maybe he just should have been, I don't know. I Bottom
1: line... A lot of people knew that she had someone, a specific person who was interested in what she was doing all the time. Right. And it should have been handled before.
0: Right. Right. The attorney portrayed him as a mentally ill person who was neglected by his parents, the mental health system, and the courts. Dr. Park Elliott Dietz, a psychiatrist who studies killers of celebrities, testified for the defense saying that Bardo had been mentally ill since childhood and had been raised along with a mentally ill brother and siblings by a mentally ill mother. Galindo also denied that Bardo had lain in wait for Schaefer, contending the young man had been so awed by the brief encounter with the actress an hour before the slain that he returned to her report- apartment to give her a letter. Bardo impulsively shot Schaefer when the actress seemed irritated by his second visit. Galindo said the crucial question for the judge as he rules on the lying in wait issue is whether Bardo and Miss Schaefer talked before the shooting. Now, that's a big point. If he came back and was like, here, here's the letter, here's my compact disc... And then she was mean to him, and he shot her in the heat of of that moment. Right? Then the judge can't really say that he was lying in wait. Right? Like he didn't come back to shoot her, basically. So that would mean that the judge would find him guilty of second-degree murder rather than first-degree murder with special circumstances. During the trial, the lawyers from both sides and the judge actually went to the apartment house and reenacted the shooting to determine whether a neighbor that had testified could possibly have actually heard the conversations that day between Rebecca and Bardo. An investigator for the defense stood where the witness stood, and he went to her apartment, stood in her apartment. Mm-hmm. Her name was Lynn Marte. She showed the investigator exactly where she was standing, Marsha Clark played the role of Rebecca, and the witness Lynn said that she did not hear any exchange of words between the two, just the shot fired, meaning that Bardo came back that morning with the intent to shoot Rebecca.
1: So there wasn't the first visit? No, this was the second. It's still
0: the second visit, but the second visit, the prosecution is saying that he came back with the intent to shoot her. Mm. The defense team is saying that he came back to give her a letter. She was mean to him, so in a fit of rage, he shot her. So if that is true, then she would be tried for... I mean, he would be held accountable for a second-degree murder. If he came back with the intent to kill her, that's first degree with special circumstances of lying in wait.
1: But what are they trying to figure out by being in the witness's apartment?
0: If he said anything to her the second time. If there was any exchange of words, did he walk up, ring the bell, her walk out, and him shoot her? So the investigator is standing where the witness was in the other apartment. Marcia Clark is being Rebecca Schaefer. She actually leaves Rebecca's apartment, walks down the hallway, and answers the door. And the investigator said that he could hear Mrs. Clark's footsteps coming down the hall and the front door opening. But he said a man's voice speaking outside was indistinct. But he could hear them talking. And the witnesses saying there was no talking. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Miss mm-hmm.
0: Marta, Lynn Marta, she had testified for the prosecution that she heard no one talking before the shots were fired. Although testifying for the defense, now this is the investigator. The investigator that stood where the witness stood, he was actually an investigator for the defense. And he agreed that if Robert Bardo had said anything, he would have been able to hear it. Got no it. So during her closing arguments, Marsha Clark said Bardo was motivated to kill Schaefer by his obsession with gaining fame. Superior Court Judge Dino Falgani had to decide whether to convict Bardo of first-degree murder in the special circumstance of lying in wait. And this is why this is so important. The second-degree murder, conviction, or first-degree with special circumstances. If he is found guilty of second-degree murder, the maximum he can give him is 25 years. If he finds him guilty of first-degree murder with special circumstances of lying in wait, he'll go to prison for life. He won't get the death penalty because he waived the rights to a jury trial. So because as a judge, he can't give him the death penalty, but he can put him in prison. Mm -hmm. So this is why this is all so important. On December 20th, 1991, Judge Falgoni thankfully decided on first-degree murder in special circumstances, which landed Bardo in prison for life. If he had not, Bardo would have been eligible for parole in 2016. Bardo addressed the judge and told him, the idea that I killed her for fame is totally ridiculous. I do realize the magnitude of what I've done. I don't think it needs to be compounded by a bunch of lies because she's an actress.
1: I don't think his motive was fame.
0: No, I I don't know where that came from. I don't know, yeah. Um, He is currently serving his imprisonment. Get this. He's currently serving his imprisonment at Avinal State Prison, which is only about three hours from here. Hmm. And that was after he was transferred from Mule Creek Prison where he had been attacked and stabbed 11 times by two other roommates. Although he confessed to the crime, he only recently released a statement saying he takes full responsibility for her death, saying she should be here now. Schaefer's death at the hands of a stalker helped spark the creation of the LAPD's Threat Management Unit, a police team specializing in stalking cases, and created the Driver's Privacy Protection Act, restricting the release of home addresses. Her parents and co-stars, particularly Pam Dauber, took part and promoted stricter gun laws, and also the California Penal Code Section 646.9 gave law enforcement more freedom to intervene in stalking cases, the first anti-stalking laws of its kind in the United States. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to follow and comment on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites.
1: Visit our website at HauntingHistoryPodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms.
0: Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.